0: The 12-month drop in house prices shows signs of ending. Macquarie mulls a $9 billion bid in the UK, and the bottom falls out of the building industry with new home starts falling to their lowest level in more than a decade. It's Friday, the 3rd of March, 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Big show today, big show. It is a big show. There's some great stories coming up, Sean. And you have got an interview after the show with Damien Greathead from Intuit Australia, the makers of cloud accounting software QuickBooks. Yeah, it's basically all about how accountants and bookkeepers can help small businesses.
1: And it's not just a annual check-in to get your taxes done. There's so much more to it. So it's a great chat about just what accountants really and bookkeepers have to offer SMEs.
0: It's coming up a little bit later on. The main story this morning, though, Sean, one of our favourite topics, really, the pace of declines in house prices has slowed, and in Sydney, prices increased last month. Overall, capital city average prices fell 0.1% and are down nearly 10% from their peak. Definitely
1: good news, Michael, but one reading doesn't make a trend. One swallow doesn't make a summer. One fine novel doesn't make a great author, Michael. Yet anyway. It feels a little bit targeted there, Sean. No, for those who haven't been listening to us during the week, Michael's debut novel was released this week. So very, very exciting. Anyway, I digress. We haven't even gotten into the show yet. I'm talking about something else. Let's get back to house prices. Core logic figures show that prices across the capital cities have fallen for 10 months in a row. But February's drop was the smallest since May last year. And as you mentioned, Michael, Sydney. House prices actually rose by 0.3%. All other capital cities fell back, but the pace of the decline, with the exception of Darwin, lessened. Hobart led the falls last month with prices off 1.4%. Canberra prices were down half percent Both Melbourne and Brisbane prices were off 0.4%. Adelaide was 0.2%. And Perth was down 0.1%. Peaked to trough, Sydney still has had the biggest
0: fall, down nearly 14%. I know you said, Sean, that that one reading doesn't make a trend yet, but how much confidence can we really then put in these numbers? Do they point potentially to an end to the current rate cycle? Oh, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, obviously, it's
1: too soon to say that. Plenty of economists out there think prices still have a way to go. Certainly, the fact that there isn't as much stock on the market is helping cushion price falls. And the full impact of all the rate rises over the past year or so, plus a couple of anticipated hikes in coming months, will keep pressure on prices. Remember, in the next couple of years, Michael, 880,000 mortgages will come off those ultra low fixed rate loans. If they go to floating rates or other fixed rates, doesn't really matter, repayment levels will be much higher. But there are reasons to be optimistic. Auction clearance rates in recent weeks have been much higher than late last year. Migration is back, big time. And people coming to Australia need somewhere to live and many skilled migrants buy homes. And the rental market is so hot at the moment, some people will choose to take the leap and buy a home. So short answer to your question is, I don't know, but there are some promising signs how did local markets go yesterday? S&P ASX 200 finished up slightly to 7,255 points. The standout was BHP, which surged 4%. And that rise pretty much explains why the boss ended in the black. Rio Tinto and Fortescue also did well, they were both up 4%, just like BHP, while Woodside rose a bit over 2%. Otherwise, all the other companies in the top 15 went backwards. ANZ fell nearly 3%. Commonwealth Bank, National Australia Bank, Westpac and Macquarie were all down around 2%. Wesfarmers and Woolies both ended down around 1%. Telstra was really an outperformer, as in it did nothing. It didn't move at all. There you go. Diversified Miner South 32 was the best on the day, up 5%. Other strong stocks were Nickel Industries, Mineral Resources and Whitehaven Coal. Linus Rare Earths was the worst performer, down nearly 7%.
0: And what's happening on international markets?
1: Not a lot going on in commodity markets. Cryptocurrencies are just off a bit and the Aussie dollar is holding up pretty well. It's fetching around 67.5 US cents.
0: All right. We've got some great stories coming up, Sean. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, Macquarie Group is considering a $9 billion bid for UK-listed fund manager and insurer M&G. According to British media reports, Macquarie hasn't yet approached the British
1: company's board, so there's still a way to go, but it really does demonstrate Macquarie's push into global assets and funds management, which in the future will probably make up a bigger part of the group's revenue, particularly since mergers and acquisitions activity isn't as buoyant thanks to higher interest rates. The group has about $12.5 billion in surplus capital, and last month, Chief Executive Shamara Wickramanayaka said she was interested in deploying more capital into funds management. We'll have to wait and see where this one goes.
0: Yeah, there probably shouldn't be too many surprises there because she was quite upfront in saying they would be looking at deals. Yeah, exactly. And this is the $9 billion bid, so off we go. All right. Now, new building approvals fell 28% in January to their lowest level in more than a decade. Yeah, we know the sector's in
1: trouble, but these numbers are almost too bad to be true. In fact, the state numbers are extraordinary Total dwelling approvals in New South Wales fell by nearly 50% in a month. Quite incredible. Nearly 40% in Victoria and 32% in Tasmania. Bucking the trend was Queensland with an increase of 26%. That's pretty much all about apartment developments. Now, the Bureau of Statistics series is volatile, clearly, but in trend terms, house approvals are now 43% below their peak two years ago. They're now below pre-pandemic levels in trend terms think about the housing sector when someone builds a house they then fill it with white goods and carpet and all that sort of thing so it has this incredible multiplier effect on the economy so we want the housing sector to be doing okay and it really has come off the boil totally
0: having said that have you actually tried to find a plumber recently michael it is not easy. I was about to ask you, kind of, when when does this actually then flow through to improve availability for people like me who just need something fixed because I can't do anything myself. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, I don't think we've seen that yet. No, not quite. Sean, Downer EDI employees will be investigated by the New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption for allegedly behaving dishonestly and securing personal benefits when awarding work related to government transport contracts. The investigation will put more pressure
1: on Downer's board to overhaul the company's corporate and financial governance. Already this week, it's had to write down future earnings linked to accounting errors. It's had its chief financial officer resign, it's had to fend off pressure from shareholders to meet the board, and it's experienced a massive share price slump. Now, on the ASX, the stock's off more than 15% this week, notwithstanding yesterday's 3% rise. ICAC said it will investigate some downer employees as part of an inquiry into the conduct of employees of Sydney's Inner West Council and State Transport Authority Transport for New South Wales. This is not something that the company, Downer EDI,
0: needs. No, that is a very rough week for Downer EDI. Uh, this is an interesting one, Sean. The Reserve Bank will work with private sector banks on developing a central bank digital currency in Australia. Commonwealth Bank and ANZ are two of the 14 banks, fintechs and payment companies
1: that will look at the use cases and economic benefits of a central bank digital currency. Now, Reserve Bank Assistant Governor Brad Jones yesterday said the pilot program will contribute to hands-on learning by industry and to policymakers like the Reserve Bank's understanding of how a central bank digital currency can benefit the economy. He said the case for an institutional wholesale CBDC seems stronger than a retail digital unit. That suggests that you're not going to be buying a can of Coke with a digital currency backed by the Reserve Bank anytime soon. What is interesting about this, or one of the many things interesting about this, Michael, it just shows how far the Reserve Bank has gone thinking about digital currencies. In some ways, it's leading the way. That's quite exciting, isn't it? It's very exciting. I think it's inevitable, I suspect, but obviously there's a lot of work before we get there and the Reserve Bank's pushing hard on it.
0: Certainly gives a lot of credibility to the sector, doesn't it, as soon as you have the Reserve Bank leading the way on it? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And what it will do is make it much more difficult for the private sector digital currencies, the
0: cryptocurrencies, I think. All right. Now, Assistant Minister for Competition Andrew Lee wants the consumer watchdog to investigate restrictive terms in employee contracts that keep wages depressed. Yes, he was referring to things like non-compete clauses,
1: saying they prevent job mobility and keep wages low but they are also highly regular in many white-collar industries. Lee also mentioned no poach clauses in franchise agreements as a barrier to job switching. He points to evidence that Australia's heavily concentrated markets – are hurting workers. Now, especially in the regions, those markets where there's limited employer choice. A new treasury working paper shows that wages tend to be lower in concentrated markets, such as regional Australia. And while they aren't getting more concentrated, the downward pressure on wages is intensifying.
0: Of course, Sean, at the moment, Parliament isn't sitting, but the government's plans to increase tax on super balances over $3 million is still getting plenty of airplay, isn't it? Opposition leader Peter Dutton says the government's decision to change super tax caps is
1: not fair to taxpaying Australians who have opted to place funds into superannuation. Earlier in the day yesterday, opposition finance spokesperson Jane Hume questioned whether the government's figures of 80,000 people being affected was accurate given the $3 million threshold will be indexed. Mind you, Hume did concede there's not a lot of sympathy for people with super balances of more than $3 million. However, The opposition thinks they're on a winner by attacking the government policy.
0: And still on politics as well, Sean, Foreign Minister Penny Wong was due to meet her Chinese counterpart on the sidelines of the G20 foreign ministers meeting in India. Yes, the Chinese foreign minister was only appointed in December and the plan was for the two to hold a 15-minute meeting.
1: Things are moving in a much better direction between Canberra and Beijing. Mind you, the specter of China supporting Russia remains a major impediment to improved trade
0: relations. Australia Post, Sean, is to get updated with an overhaul of its 25-year-old regulations. The government said Aussie Post won't be privatised,
1: but definitely needs to be modernised. And that probably means not delivering letters five days a week and becoming a stronger competitor in the parcel delivery business. The group is hurting. And remember, we taxpayers own Australia Post. In fact, it's expected to deliver its first loss in eight years this financial year.
0: Sean, the big question, unrelated to Australia Post entirely, this is really a question more for beer drinkers out there. Is the craft beer revolution over?
1: (sighs) Perhaps. The $1 billion craft beer segment, that's cans and bottles at bottle shops, went backwards for the first time last year. Now, according to a story in the Financial Review, drinkers went back to pubs and bars, leaving many craft brewers feeling the pinch particularly given the jump in costs like for example the cost of aluminium cans rose 11 percent last year we've actually had a few craft brewers go under recently so tribe brewing which owns stockade brewing mornington peninsula brewing and wild went into receivership early this week and queensland craft brewer ballistic beer company went into administration in late january so i'm afraid. The revolution is faltering.
0: Might not be over, but it is faltering. He was particularly upset about the Ballistic Beer Company going into administration because they make my favourite craft beer. So I've had to stock up, Sean. Is that right? What's the What beer do they make? Uh, it's like a, a Hawaiian hazy pale ale. It's very, very oh, nice. Really? I'll have to go and have a look. If you can find any. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Right Righto. Will do. And if not, Sean, I will share one of the four packs I have uh, stashed (laughs) underneath every bed in our house. Uh, Now, I I don't know what to make of this story, Sean. Um, I'm just going to roll into it and, and let's see where it goes. A Jetstar supervisor has lost his claim. He was unfairly dismissed for failing to report a subordinate who fondled his genitals and regularly passed wind loudly and publicly, the Fair Work Commission has found.
1: Michael, some stories are just too good to ignore. And again, I have to thank the normally sober financial review for this one. So the supervisor had argued his sacking was harsh and unjust because while he was fired for not reporting the abhorrent behaviour, the offending subordinate kept his job. But Fair Work Commissioner Philip Ryan rejected the case after finding the two matters were not comparable because although the subordinate conduct constituted sexual harassment, the supervisor failed in his higher duty to report it. The supervisor had also made derogatory and discriminatory comments, Mr. Ryan added. Now, the case was sparked when the subordinate alleged the supervisor had singled him out at meetings for errors, while another engineer alleged the supervisor publicly mocked colleagues and created a toxic atmosphere. The supervisor responded by alleging the subordinate would pet and displayed his erect penis through his trousers on multiple occasions, while others had complained the subordinate was overly flatulent. Now, while farting in the office did occur, the supervisor argued it was different with the subordinate, as he would not hesitate to, and I quote, put his legs up on the table and part his butt cheeks and fart for as long as possible possible. Oh, you nearly made it through, Sean. I nearly made it through. But the attempt to damage the subordinate's credibility backfired as Jetstar started investigating the supervisor for not reporting or disciplining the subordinate for what it said was sexual harassment and breaches of its code of conduct. Commissioner Ryan said the supervisor's argument for staying silent on the alleged sexual harassment was simply unacceptable and he had a duty to escalate significant breaches of the code
0: of conduct. Sean, can you imagine being the commissioner in this case and going home at the end of the day and going to their partner, you're never going to believe what I had to deal with today? Goodness me.
1: Uh, The Fair Work Commission, if you go through some of the cases, they are very, very funny. Oh, goodness. This this is a serious issue. Obviously, it's a workplace issue. This this
0: is a workplace. (laughs) This is actually happening in an Australian workplace. Jetstar. 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 There you go. Who oh, would have thought? I don't know how we can go on after that. But uh, we're, we're, Let's shift into the international news or something. That is a very good idea. How about this one then, Sean? Let's talk about Elon Musk. Mm. What a transition. Uh, Tesla <laughs> will, will cut assembly costs by half in future generations of cars, but Elon Musk isn't revealing when the manufacturer will debut a much-awaited affordable electric vehicle. Tesla held its
1: Investor Day yesterday, and more than a dozen executives led by Mr. Musk discussed everything from a white paper plan for the globe to embrace sustainable energy to the company's innovation in managing its operations. They talked manufacturing, they talked service levels, all sorts of things. According to Reuters, executives said Tesla's next-generation platform will include more than one vehicle built in standardized factories. Following the meeting, Tesla's share price fell 5%, not what a company wants.
0: John, another one out of the US. Pharmaceutical giant Eli Lilly will cut the price of its most commonly prescribed insulin products by 70% in response to mounting political pressure over the high cost of the diabetes medication. It will
1: also take other steps to make its products more affordable for patients, including expanding an existing value program that caps patients' out-of-pocket costs, according to the Financial Times. The changes to insulin pricing by Eli Lilly followed plenty of political pressure over the high cost of a drug, which was invented in the 1920s, but can still cost diabetes
0: sufferers thousands of dollars a year to buy in the U.S., yeah, it's extraordinary Sean and obviously we've got a bit of a uh, a bit of experience in this space with a uh, our, our son has type 1 diabetes and is insulin dependent and so uh, seeing how much it costs uh, people in the United States to buy this medicine that they are entirely dependent on to live yeah. it makes you very very grateful that we live in Australia where the PBS is so supportive Of people with this condition. Uh, Now, Sean, one last one. And I love the fact that you've decided to finish today on something to do with space. It feels like you're really just trying to come back strong after that other story from before. Uh, Japan has picked a doctor and a banker to become its first new astronauts in more than a decade. That sounds like the opening line to a joke, doesn't it? Mm, It does. It is a pretty important step in Japan's ambitions to join the US and China to send people back to the moon. Yeah, so the 28-year-old doctor works for the Red Cross and
1: the 46-year-old banker is a senior employee of the World Bank. The Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, or JAXA, selected the pair from more than 4,000 applicants. Like many industries in Japan, there's a dearth of young people among the astronauts, with the average age currently fifty two they hope to go to space in two thousand and thirty where the average age would be sixty as opposed to about thirty four at NASA, according to bloomberg the u s and Japan are hoping an astronaut from Japan will head to the moon as part of nasa 's Artemis program.
0: That one is for you, Michael. would you do it, sean if you were if they if we were doing a story about They've selected a podcaster to go to the moon. <laughs> what, what, what skills? What skills we would take to the moon? I don't really know. Uh, but. No, I don't know. No, I, I. It's not my cup of tea. I'd have no interest in going. What about you? No, God, no. I'm quite a nervous flyer. Just on a yeah, that's on a right. Plane. I don't don't think much about leaving the atmosphere. All right. Up next, Sean is the Fear and Greed Daily interview with Damien Greathead from Intuit Australia, which makes QuickBooks. That's right. All about how accountants
1: and bookkeepers can help small businesses well beyond tax returns. Well worth a listen.
0: Yeah, sure is. And Damien is speaking at the Accounting Business Expo in Melbourne on March 14 and 15, which is a supporter of this podcast. Just search Accounting Business Expo for more. That one's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform, or you can find it at fearandgreed.com.au as well. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Friday, the 3rd of March, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.